Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, as we draw near to you this morning, would you draw near to us as we look at your word? You have stuff here for us to hear, and this morning we ask that you would give us ears to hear. Hear your voice, words of hope, words uh, that tell us you are a God who draws near, especially in the midst of hard things in our lives. No one here needs to hear from me, but we all, we all desperately need to hear from you. And we ask that you would do that in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, this is our second Sunday in the season of Advent, and I'm one of those people who just loves everything about Christmas. I love Christmas. I love Advent. This is the season that, you know, gets me in this really happy mood. Even the cold air this morning, I came out of my apartment, it was 37 degrees, and I was happy because it felt like Christmas. You guys know what I mean? And so every year I have all of these like rituals. The lights go up, my nativity set comes out. We start watching all our Christmas movies and shows that I insist my family watch, you know. I have a whole list of these. And then I have books I want to read because it reminds me of Christmas. And, you know, it's this season that I hope for a lot of us you associate with positive things. And maybe if I ask you the question, what words or word do you associate with Christmas, you may say, you know, maybe trees, parties, Christmas cards, carols, family, nativity, joy, peace. You know, there, there's a lot in there. Maybe you can even add in Jesus into that list, you know. But I'm going to suggest a word Uh, to add to this list maybe you haven't been thinking about. And it's the word shame. You know, how many of you associate shame with Christmas? And I'm going to tell you, it's not very popular. Imagine receiving a Christmas card with the word shame on it, you know, instead of joy or peace. It's not going to get a whole lot of uh, popularity and love in the stores. But once you begin to read the Christmas stories, especially the birth narrative, you realize shame and disgrace that comes from the scandal of the circumstances of the birth of Jesus is an essential part of the Christmas story. 
You know, last week, David looked at the coming of Jesus from Mary's perspective. And today, we're going to look at it from Joseph's point of view. You know, Joseph is a person we're told very little about in the scriptures, other than in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. You really don't hear much about him at all. Not one is he ever quoted in the scriptures. He's one of these people that are kind of, you know, is there, but they get overlooked. But he is absolutely a crucial, crucial figure. And this morning, I want us to look at three things about Joseph. I want us to look first at the scandal. Secondly, I want us to look at the angel's announcement. And then thirdly, I want us to look at the baby's name. So let's look at that briefly uh, today, and I hope this will help you get into the mood of Christmas here and get your mind set for Christmas. Because look at verse 18. You know, you have to appreciate the economy of the words here. And it says what? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And in two sentences, it kind of sets the stage of what's going on. You know, first we're told Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal is not a word we use or is something that's common in our context today, but in the ancient Near East, it was considered to be as legally binding as marriage itself. That's why at the beginning of verse 19, if you notice here, Joseph is referred to as her husband. Did you catch that? But they didn't have a wedding yet, okay? So betrothal is like an engagement plus with even more obligation. So you didn't have a wedding, you didn't have vows, you didn't have this couple consummate their marriage physically yet, but they were in essence married. And typically what happened in those days was a young girl between age of, let's say, 12 or 13, which is likely how old Mary was. And think about that for a second. Middle school girl. That's what you have to think, okay? She was betrothed to a man, and a year or so later, they would have had a wedding ceremony, a beautiful uh, celebration. They would say their vows, and they would, quote, come together, they would be married, and they would have sexual relations. And Matthew wants us to know a couple of things. He wants us to know that, that they were betrothed, okay? But they had not yet come together. They hadn't slept together. And here's the scandal, okay? She is betrothed to Joseph, legally bound to him, and yet they had not had sex, and she's found to be pregnant. That's the scandal. They live in a small town. Everyone knows everyone, okay? There's not one thing you can get away with in this town that no one else knows about. People are whispering. They realize, hey, wait, didn't Mary go visit her cousin Elizabeth for like three months? She came back. Man, I, I don't know. She looks a little different there, you know. Um, isn't she betrothed to Joseph? And the story gets a little worse because it's even more scandalous because she is found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So apparently she had mentioned this to Joseph and that he didn't believe her. Because if he really believed Mary he wouldn't have wanted to divorce her, right? Or if he believed, he would not mind bearing the shame and the scandal that came with it. So what are his options, okay? 
he had to bear this scandal. He had to deal with this. So he had to figure out what's going on here. So in his mind, he's thinking, okay, option one, Mary had an affair with another man. She cheated on him, her fiancé. For Joseph, this is absolutely humiliating, shameful, and scandalous. That's hard. Can you imagine that? You're engaged to someone, and your significant other, he cheated on you. Some of you have experienced what it's felt like to be cheated on, even as you're dating. Or marriage, it is an incredibly painful thing. That's hard. Another way this could be scandalous for Joseph is people might even think he had gotten her pregnant. They say, well, I mean, that too would be shameful and scandalous for him, especially in that day, in that time. Or people might think, well, she's also lost her mind because she's going around telling people that God had come to her and she got pregnant. I've never been with a man. But God did something. All of those, okay? You see all of those options there? Would be scandalous. It's humiliating. What does he do? Does he live with this? Does he just marry her? I mean, before we get to what he does, can we talk about what he did not do? Because look at verse 19 with me. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Think about that for a second. You know what he did not do? It says, put her to shame. He chose not to shame her. Not to accuse her of cheating, whether it's publicly or privately. No outburst of anger towards her. He didn't come up in her face and berate her. There is no scorn. He didn't make it about his wounded pride and his own humiliation. He didn't make her feel small and destroy her sense of self-worth. But I don't know about you, but I can imagine many guys going down this other path. But here is Joseph. I mean, he's a good dude. I mean, he is unwilling to shame her. He's isn't going around defending his own reputation, accusing her of unfaithfulness and how she has wronged him, blasting it on social media to try to build sympathy for him and scorn for her. He doesn't do that. You know, maybe this is why the Bible talks about him as a just man, and maybe we should also say he's a merciful man. Because what did the law actually say about someone who was caught in adultery? Do you remember that scene in John chapter 8 when these people find a woman caught in adultery and brings her out and they are ready to stone her? And Jesus gets up and what does he say? If you're without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. And everyone leaves. And you know, adultery was a serious crime in that time. And in Deuteronomy 22, it said it would be just to stone someone who was caught in adultery. doesn't mean you have to do it. And he could have stood up, Joseph could have, in a crowd, pointed her out and said, Mary must have committed adultery. How else is she with child? Because I'm not the father. And what's she going to say? Well, I didn't do it. 
the Holy Spirit came on thee, no one's going to believe her. See this? And if he did this, he would have cleared his name. She would have been gone from his life. But he chose a different path. He didn't want that. But the option he ruled out is this, bearing the scandal with her. He didn't want that. That was too much for him. But because he was also merciful, he decided, you know what? I can still divorce her. But maybe in a private ceremony in front of a couple of witnesses, maybe he brings her mom, her dad. And he has this divorce. They would sign the papers. They put her on a donkey, send her away. And he can go on with his life. It was terrible. It was hard. Utterly heartbroken. But he can probably move forward. You see what's going on? This is the scandal Joseph is having to deal with. And in these moments, I think one of the hardest things is when things are that hard, when hard things, terrible things are sometimes done to you, and he didn't do anything here, I think we get in the mindset that somehow either God is not with us or in our shame, in our humiliation, we feel like, I don't think God actually is even interested in being near me. And it is in this moment we have the angel's announcement that shows up because God had other plans. He is going over all of his plans in his mind. You know, Joseph, and I'm assuming he's praying for God's wisdom, and he's going to sleep, and in verse 20, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And notice here, God doesn't leave Joseph by himself in that moment. He sends his angel. And here, listen up. Because when you're feeling like such a failure, when you're feeling like someone has wronged you in this way, when you're feeling the weight of shame and humiliation, and you don't think anyone else cares or wants to come near you, when your engagement is about to be broken, just as it is here for Joseph, and you feel utterly alone, God says, I'm the one who draws near to the brokenhearted. You know, this is so much about what Christmas is all about. It reveals to us this heart of God, that God is the one who draws near to us in this way. And the angel is saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. And he, the angel reinterprets the whole scenario for him. And this is what is so amazing. The angel reinterprets Mary's condition not as sin, not as her sin, but as God's grace and his mercy. And that's a really, really crucial part of this story. The angel here is reinterpreting Mary's condition, not as her sin, but as his God's grace and his mercy. And he's saying, Joseph, you've misunderstood. This is not sin. God is actually showing up here. Forgiveness of sin is actually coming. God himself is coming through Mary, and this is the gift of Christmas. And it reminds us of something. 
God's ways are not our ways. God's righteousness is not our righteousness. You know, the angel is saying to Joseph, you actually have a very unique role to play in the history of redemption. Your shame that you're experiencing is actually something redemptive and beautiful and holy and good. And God is saying, I have a place for you. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. And notice what else the angel says. The announcement is, he says, Joseph, son of David. Did you catch that? This is what the angel calls Joseph. Calls him son of David. This is important because the only person in the whole of the New Testament that is called son of David besides Jesus is Joseph. And this is what makes Joseph so important. You see, if you go to the beginning of Matthew's gospel, it begins this way, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And from verse 2 all the way through verse 17, we have this long genealogy saying what? Jesus is the son of David who is to come. And in order for Jesus to be Messiah, in order for him to be the one who would be Israel's king and our king, he had to come from the line of David. And the only place he can get that lineage was from his human father. This is why the genealogy is there. And although Joseph was not his biological father, Joseph was his legal father. That is, when Joseph takes Mary as his wife, this baby is now legally son of David. And it's from that lineage, you see? And without Joseph believing and obeying what the angel said and taking Mary as his wife, Christmas doesn't happen. Unless Joseph marries Mary, okay? Joseph uh, would not have the opportunity to call Jesus the son of David legally. And if she would have had Jesus, Mary would have had Jesus without being married to Joseph, Jesus would have been just another fatherless baby, but he would not have been called son of David. I mean, Joseph is the son of David. He is the important link in all of this. And he's finding himself at the center of God's story of redemption as a participant. Jesus is the son of David because of him. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details as to why God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. But one reason for sure is this, is because she was betrothed to Joseph. And it's his shame, his humiliation. He, God is asking him to bear this divine purpose. Because it doesn't, all that stuff is not going to go away. It's just reframed in the fabric of the story of redemption. And this is why the angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Because what was he afraid of? I mean, he's thinking about, well, I'm going to have this child. It's going to be close to our wedding. I mean, people not account in the ancient world. They're saying, that was only five months, okay? Um, what will this look like to our family? How about our friends? 
How about our village? What are they going to think at Temple? Will they ignore us? Will our, our child not be played with by other kids? I mean, everyone is whispering about this. And the angel says, put this out of your mind. Do not be afraid. The living God, the God who is mighty to save, reassures him and says, I have drawn near to you. I am at work in you. And my plan is to save people from their sins through this child. Because as important as Joseph is and as Mary is, they're not as important as the son that would be born. And let's look at this name. Because did you notice this is the other thing the angel asks of Joseph? He says, she's going to bear a son. And let me tell you, where you what you're going to name this kid. How odd is that? I know some of you are expecting in this room. Okay? If you want a nice name for a boy, I recommend Iron. Okay? Um, <laughs> but I can't impose that on you. You know? But you, you start thinking about this. This is ludicrous, okay? Why is he coming and telling Joseph what to name this baby? Because he's saying, you're going to save his people from their sins. He's saying, look, the reason you don't get to name your child is because this child, in one sense, doesn't belong to you. He's the only child that's probably ever existed that is older than his parents, you know, in one sense. And but here is where it gets really cool because you know in the Old Testament one of the most popular names, boys' names, was Joshua. And Joshua is the Hebrew version of the name Jesus. Yahshua, meaning Yahweh saves. The Lord is salvation. And so it was just a popular name. So there were lots of Joshua's, lots of Jesuses in that time. Some people name name their boy Jesus just because it was popular. Others named their sons Jesus because they actually longed for the day that God would bring salvation. Maybe, maybe they would free them from the oppression of the Roman government that was colonizing them. And they're saying and hoping, God, when are you going to save us and help us? But the beautiful thing is, when the angel of the Lord says to Joseph, hey, and I'm going to paraphrase here, Joseph Hey, some people just like this name because it's cool and popular. Others like this name because it means something that we are longing for salvation. But you're going to name this baby Jesus because he is the one who will save people from their sins. Your baby's name will be Jesus because he is the Lord of salvation. Because this child is salvation. And he will save his people from their sin, not Roman oppression, because the oppression of sin and death is this thing that every single one of us is under. The thing that crushes us, keeps us down, is sin, including your sins, Joseph. You know, Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century preacher, said, what a wonderful thought to think upon. That the link between my soul and Jesus is not my goodness, but my badness. It's not my merit, but my misery. It's not my rising, but my falling. That Jesus came to save sinners and no one else. You know, at Christmas, we're being asked this question. 
Do you see yourself a sinner? Because if you know yourself to be a sinner, Christmas tells us, unto you is born today a Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know what's more beautiful than even that? There's another name he's given here, isn't he, in verse 22. Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. Remember in John uh, chapter 1, it talks about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Ben preached on this a couple weeks ago when we finished our Exodus series on the tabernacle. Jesus comes to dwell among us, tabernacle among us. And why is this so important? Because more than anything else, this is what God wants. We think God's not interested in us. Or we think we don't deserve his presence. Or we fear his presence. We have too much shame. There's no way God would want to do anything with us. But the gospel keeps telling us something else. God himself is Emmanuel. You know, we think God is like maybe Victor Frankenstein in Mary Shelley's novels. This is, by the way, one of my Christmas novels. And I'll tell you why. Victor Frankenstein is a university student who is obsessed with discovering the secret of life, right? And after a few years of research, he believes he has found it. And he spends months taking old body parts, putting it together into a creature. And he finally brings it to life. But when he looked at his creation, you know what he said? But now that I had finished, the beauty of the dream vanished. And breathless horror and disgust filled my heart. Unable to endure the aspect of the being I had created, I rushed out of the room. I mean, he can't stand the sight of this thing. He wants to destroy the creation, not save it. He's repulsed by it. You know, and he's telling the story in flashback form and recounting all of this. And in many ways, maybe that's how we think God is. We think that God sees our shame, our failures, our brokenness, the things we cannot mention and you don't think he would ever draw near. But God says, I am a God who is Emmanuel, God with us. That I am willing to take on human form, become a baby, be born into this scandalous situation in order to draw near to you. I mean, this is a remarkable thing. I mean, Part of what I love about Frankenstein, and it's mind-boggling that Mary Shelley wrote this at her age, is thinking about our ability to create something, to do something right, and we fear and we realize we've created a monster. And the thing we really long for in every human heart is we actually need the presence of God and the person of God. You know, technology is not going to ever solve that piece. Sorry. Sorry if you think it is. But, you know, one of the greatest scenes in all of literature in John Milton's Paradise Lost, I mean, he wrote this in 1667, 
And if you read the book in book three, there's this amazing scene where God calls together the council of the angels. And since we're talking about an angel visiting Joseph, I thought it's fitting. And he says to the angels, man has sinned. Die he or justice must, unless for him some other able and as willing pay the rigid satisfaction, death for death. And he says to the angels, which of you will stand on his behalf? And there's this amazing line. But all the heavenly choirs stood mute and silence was in heaven. And all was lost for man, had not the Son of Man interposed. And Jesus steps forward and says, I, Father, I will go. I for him, take me on me, let death wreck all his rage. I mean, this is the gospel. God looks at you and me, and he says, I'm going to redeem them. And Jesus says, I will bear all of the wrath, all of the shame. He receives the justice for our sins. Jesus comes and lives a life we should have lived, right? Dies the death we should have died. And he's risen from the grave. What? So that you know your sins are taken away definitively, okay? He humbles himself to become a baby. He entered the world, weak and helpless, born with all these questions about who is his earthly father. He didn't end up in a palace. He endured shame. Can you imagine him growing up and everybody talking about this? He never shook this. You know, in a heated debate between Jesus and some Pharisees in John chapter 8, they were getting really frustrated because you can't out-logic Jesus. So at one point, they just said, well, we were not born of sexual immorality. Boom. You know, it's like, ouch. They got low. I mean, it was a personal attack, ad hominem. You know, this is not about the issues. We're going to attack your character. He bore this reproach, shame and humiliation. Why? For us. This is what Christmas tells us. This is what God does when he shows up in our lives. You know, in Zephaniah chapter 3, it says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. I want you to hear this this morning, especially if you're filled with shame, humiliation, doubt, guilt. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Hearing this, what does Joseph do? He wakes up. My goodness. And what does he say? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. You know, his circumstances didn't change. All the things he was worried about, they're still there. But he saw the whole situation in a new hopeful light. He got a fuller picture of what God was doing. 
And that, my friends, is what Christians begins to do. It allows you to see things from a different perspective where God has come and he says, I will come again. I'm going to take away your reproach. I will change your shame. I will take your humiliation. I will give you that one thing you can never have, forgiveness of sin and new life. My prayer is this Advent season, you would experience this, whether it's for the first time or be renewed in it as we reflect on the coming of our Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father and our God, we come this morning and give you praise and thanks that you would bear all the shame and humiliation and reproach, live a life that we can never live and die the death so we would be forgiven of our sin. My goodness, what a gift. And we ask that, Lord, this morning, um, you would amaze us with this truth, amaze us by your love, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time, so that we may go out as a people who proclaim your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.